Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Okay, y'all, we have some exciting news. So if you want to dive deeper into the ways that the conversations and topics that Danae and I are always talking about and having can impact your evolution and growth personally, then you should join us in Nosara, Costa Rica at Bodhi Tree Yoga Resort, June 3rd through 10th for our upcoming intensive retreat, which we're calling Reclaiming Audacity. Yes, we are joining forces with two of our colleagues, Millie Murillo and Ashley Torrent, to create a week full of transformational healing by exploring the narratives that have shaped our current perspectives, challenge some of the limiting ways of being, and discover tools for integrating spiritual perspectives with the struggles we will inevitably face in our day-to-day lives. So if you'd like some more information, you can head to the link in either of our social bios or head to Vanessa's website underneath retreats for some more details. Hope we see you guys in Costa Rica. Yeah. And there are payment plans available. So make sure you email me or DM me if you have any questions. See y'all in the jungle. So serious. <laughs> I'm like, are you mad? You it's mad, amazing. girl? You mad? Tonight's making fun of my serious <laughs> podcast recording Very face. Serious. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hey, guys. To another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So we're going to do another Q&A for you. Right. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite words pretty much ever Ooh. resentment Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is one of your favorites 
So the question, very simply, is how do you avoid resentment? (laughs) (laughs) So what are your thoughts? Personal responsibility. Um, You know, my favorite spiritual teacher is Wayne Dyer. Um, Always used to say there are no justified resentments, period. And wait, sit with that. (laughs) Sit with that. Repeat it. Repeat it. Yeah. There are no justified resentments. And I remember the first time I heard him say that, I was like, well, I mean, like, some some resentments are justified, right? But when you really dig a little deeper into what he's saying, um, people are showing up as they are based on the tools that they have, the way they experience the world, the projections of whatever they have based on their own life path up to this point. And when you understand that literally nothing is personal, And everything is for you to do your own negotiation around how I'm going to be in relationship with people or not, how I'm Mm. going to set up boundaries in my relationships or not. Um, But basically, when you make the decision to control what is always within your control, which is you, all of a sudden you see that resentments are pretty pointless because they're really the externalization of your power in any given moment, right? Whenever I feel like someone else and their behavior has power over me, that is handing that person the keys to my power. But how I decide to process whatever this person is doing, that's what I have power over. And there's always, I have found, if we give it a little bit of you know elbow grease, if we roll up our sleeves and workshop whatever the thought, whatever the experience is, there's always a way for us to reclaim the power that we are offering to that other person when we're sitting in the space of resentment. But what do you think? Yeah. What does that bring up for you? <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree. No, I mean, I'm agreeing with you mostly because I, what I like to say, and I, I get a lot of, um, get a lot of pushback, right? I think people mm. really have a hard time with this concept because like a lot of the concepts you and I talk about, it revolves around personal responsibility. And boy, oh boy, as humans, do we not like taking personal responsibility for things, right? Sure so, <laughs> um, you know, I always say like resentment is yours. It's no one else's. Mm. It's yours to own. And people get really pissed about that because it's like, to your point, well, what about this? I, you know, what about this example? And what about that example? And they did this to me and they did that to me. I've also been told that when I say stuff like resentment's yours to own, period, that I'm victim blaming, which is another one of my kind of favorite um, deflections, I suppose, uh, in this conversation. So I want to like Why maybe is anybody roll... being blamed. I know. Well, that's it, <laughs> right? It's blame. Nobody's I to know. blame. Yeah, Who's but I blame? think that's I think that's a good thing to roll around in, right? So I think what mm. happens is we have a really hard time. This idea of nothing is is uh, is personal, right? Which comes from the four agreements. If those of y'all you know who haven't read it, um, even if we're talking about let's say something violent, something aggressive, something majorly traumatic that somebody has done to you, right? One would still argue that it is not personal because it still has to do with them and their story and their pain and what's gone on for them that they would ever even be in a place to hurt somebody else. Now, hear me when I say I'm not justifying behavior. I'm not saying that we have to say, well, because it's not about me and it's about their pain, right? And I'm seeing them in their humanness and their pain that I somehow have to forgive them even. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is it's still not about you. And so going back to what you were saying about giving somebody your power 
am I going to hold on to it and feel a sense of resentment or anger or hatred or whatever the feeling is towards them? Because now that's in my body. That's sitting with me. I am carrying that around. And here's the thing. If we're talking, again, like we're talking about a perpetrator, I hate to say it, but they're probably not carrying that same thing around. They might be. They're carrying around their own pain, clearly, obviously, like I just said. But as far as like you wanting them to feel guilty or you wanting them to make amends or you wanting them to right fill in the blank, what I have seen in doing a lot of work, especially couples work, right? So let's talk about like, oh, they, they cheated on me as an example of this person did this thing to me, right? You want them to feel a certain kind of way about something they've done, right? Like you want them to feel something in order for you to feel better. And because you have no control over another person, right? Even if they feel remorse for what they've done, they're probably never going to feel exactly what and to the level you want them to feel in order for you to quote unquote feel better. And so in that example, you are still giving somebody else the keys to your power, right? Like this is the idea of closure. It's very similar. I am giving somebody else the ability to tell me if I'm okay or not, to tell me if I'm in a place of anger or not, to tell me if I'm in a place of hurt or not, right? And so I think resentment and and that conversation all also play into each other. Yeah. I mean, for me, it always comes back to, and this is a little bit of what I have shifted in terms of the way that I approach life that has given me a lot of empowerment and peace, frankly, is just the decision to care more about how I feel than being right. I think our Mm. ego is sort of, you know, we'll fight to be right. We'll fight for what is just. But to the point that you're making, people are only able to meet us at the level of consciousness that they have at any given moment. So it becomes, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. If they knew how to do something different than what they were doing, they They probably would. would. Or if they had the level of consciousness to understand why what they are doing is wrong or causing pain or, you know, just not who they want to be or how they want to show up in the world, they probably would act accordingly. But if they don't have that level of consciousness, being in the space of, I will not let this go as a way to attempt to punish Punish. them somehow is really only punishing myself. And, you know, you hear people say a lot of times, like, it's bullshit that you have to forgive everyone. You don't have to forgive someone if, you know, you need to hold on to your anger. And I'm like, listen, knock yourself out. Mm -hmm. But just know, to your point, that is you drinking poison, thinking that you are punishing someone else so that they're going to die. And really, the only person ingesting that poison is you. I don't want that toxic energy within me. So I, it's not that I say, oh, you're forgiven, forgiven. whatever, like, it's whatever, right? Like, I just see it more as this person is acting from the level of consciousness that they have. And if they understood how to behave differently, they would, but they clearly don't. And so I'm not going to internalize that. I'm not going to make that something that's personal or about me. That's just where they are right now. And that's okay. Yeah. And I talk a lot about anger too, right? Because I do think a lot of codependency recovery is healing work around past anger, past hurt, um, you know, past, maybe it's, maybe it's upbringing stuff, right? Around being made mm-hmm. to feel unlovable, being made to feel not enough, all of these things. And this is what then turns into codependency in our relationships, right? And mm-hmm. I am one of the first ones to say, 
you don't have to be in a state of compassion or forgiveness if that's not where you feel like you're at, right? Like be fucking mad. If you feel like you're still mad at your mom or your dad or whoever, then be angry about it, right? But the the difference in that is I get to feel my feelings. I, I'm not brushing them off. I'm not pretending they're there. I'm not bypassing them and saying, well, I'm not going to feel these feelings. It's like, no, no, no. You need to feel those feelings because anger is there. It comes up to tell you that a boundary has been violated. It comes up to tell you that something in some way you have felt wronged or, or violated, right? And so it's important that we actually give anger the reverence that it really deserves and, and allow ourselves to feel it. And then what do we do with it at that point, right? And so there, there is a time where, you know, I say this to my clients, like now if this is 30 years down the road and we're still acting out of like, fuck this person, fuck that person, I'm so angry, that's a different conversation because now we have spent 30 years carrying around this toxicity, carrying around this poison, right? Um, and now that person, whatever that thing is, they still have power and control over us 30 years later. So I think all of us could benefit from myself included even now shit really being in a better like more right relationship with our anger because I also do think that sometimes resentment actually comes out of or is kind of born out of not having a healthy relationship with anger. I have seen it happen where because I don't know how to sit with uh, my anger and my rage, or I feel uncomfortable or it scares me. And so I kind of try to brush it aside or I try to, what happens is I externalize it and I put it onto somebody else, right? So I don't ever have to really sit with the pain, which by the way, is usually the emotion that's under anger and rage. I don't ever have to sit with the pain so long as I am pointing at the other person and saying they've wronged me. I'm resentful and angry at them. Right. And so there's also something to be said about like the layers that come underneath the resentment and the anger. And what is it that we're actually avoiding by carrying around this bucket of resentment instead? Yeah, that's interesting because what I was thinking as you were saying that is, you know, what, okay. So if we are thinking about it in terms of what you said about anger, it's, I think a lot of times there's grief underneath mm -hmm, the anger. Mm -hmm. Like let's use a parent, for example, yeah. that I'm still carrying around a lot of anger about things that happened in my childhood that I feel like shouldn't have happened. Um, what people are often looking for is for that parent to say, what I did was wrong. I wasn't a good parent. Um, you deserved better. Now, that could conceivably happen for you at some point in your life. What I find most of the time, unfortunately, most people don't have the ego strength to be able to make a statement like that. Meaning most of us will defend sort of vehemently against seeing ourselves as a bad person. So that means mm -hmm. I will within my psyche defend why I did what I did. I will, um, sort of make excuses about why the thing that you're saying happened wasn't the way that it happened. That's just sort of like a way that the ego protects itself. Right? So, most of the time, we're not going to get that from that person that we're longing to experience it from. Mm -hmm. But what I find is what we're actually feeling anger towards, and really underneath that is grief, is the experience of the child and the story they told themselves about what that meant. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a child within us that is sort of angry at itself, <laughs> which feels mm -hmm. weird to say, but a lot of times it's like, if my parent didn't show up for me and come to my baseball game. The way a child sort of um, 
what's the word be? Like um, just even understands that. it. Yeah. Processes it. Yeah. Frames it. I, there's something like I'm too much. There was something wrong with me that I'm right. not lovable. Um, that child doesn't process that as dad's, you know, not considerate. And he's just a jerk who doesn't think about other people. That might be how our adult self is mm-hmm. holding that anger. But what that child really needs is for us to go back and allow them to feel the grief. And yes, this is like layers of process, as you're saying, once you like really name the anger and get there. But ultimately, I think what I find is that we're holding anger towards ourself. Mm. We're holding anger towards our inner child that we believe somewhere wasn't worthy of being loved in the way that we deserve to be loved. So it's really a compassion with the humanity of first that person and why they weren't able to show Mm -hmm. up in the way that we longed for them to. Um, Maybe dad didn't feel worthy of having a relationship with his child for whatever reason, right? He felt like he was a deadbeat dad, so he just gave up and let go. Um, But we told ourselves the story, it meant that I wasn't lovable. So first we try to understand that parent, but Mm -hmm. then we bring the compassion back for our inner child, who ultimately we need to say, you don't need to forgive yourself. You don't need to forgive anyone because it was never your fault. Like you're, you're loved. It's, I love you. Right. But I don't know. That was <laughs> sort of a roundabout. No, I think that's a really, what I was processing as you said that. I like what you're saying. Cause it, what it also brings up for me is this idea that I think a lot of us, and I say us, cause I'll include myself in this as well. That inner child, what you're talking about, the inner child, right? So, and this is, by the way, this is just the way that children, this is the way that children process the world, right? So mm-hmm. we have to understand the the ego development in a human being is very egocentric to a, yeah. to a certain age, right? Like everything is about me until I hit probably about 13, like adolescence really is when it starts to really break off. And then not fully until really that prefrontal cortex still- <laughs> is developed, yes. right? So around 25, but it's in that like adolescent phase where our parents fall from grace, where we first start to look at our parents as like the flawed human beings, right? This is when the adolescent starts to say, I hate you. And they say, I hate you because they start to realize we're different, right? I'm differentiating from you. You're a flawed human being. And for that, I hate you because now you're making me, quote unquote, see the flawed human being that I am as well. This is the beginning of it, okay? And so that is just how children look at things in the world. It's my fault because I am egocentric, right? It's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just It just is. So... When we don't actually do a lot of that healing, what happens is we become adults who actually, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, find ourselves perpetually in a state of resentment, a state of anger, a state of martyrdom, because we, on some deep level, almost believe that that's, what's the word, like, that's what's owed to us. Like, like there's something wrong with us still. And so this is the best kind of relationship I can hope for me being in a state of anger, me being in a state of martyrdom, me being in a state of mistreatment in some way. Right. Um, that's what I'm worth. That's a, that's a sign of my worthiness. That's a sign of what I'll ever, I'll, I'll never get more than that. Right. And we will actually, I have found, and I have seen it in myself too, we co-create this reality, right? Like we go out there and we actually create on some level, that exact feeling because we seek it out, right? Because we don't believe we're worth any more. And so, so often I'll, I'll work with couples, I'll work with clients, again, even in my own personal therapy, where I find myself um, proving my own point, 
proving to myself the story I've been telling myself since I was a child who had that moment of grief or pain or disappointment, right? And that, woof, like that's a deep thing to get into because then you start to realize actually, once more, you're not necessarily the victim of. You're actually psychically co-creating that feeling because that is the belief that you truly have about yourself and actually facing that belief is far harder. Breaking that belief is far harder than just sitting in the pain and the resentment and the anger um, that you believe you're owed, if that makes sense. I mean, it makes so much sense. I think it's really hard to sit in that reality. Um, But what you're saying is absolutely right. And I think that when we go back and I always say like go back for that young child and like really like sit in that space with them and attempt to understand the story that they told themselves and the meaning that they made of it. What we see is that exactly like you're saying in our adult relationships, we unconsciously seek out someone who reminds us of that original point of injury in an attempt to rewrite the story. Now, none of this is conscious, but I pick out someone, like let's say I had a really challenging relationship with my mother and I felt really rejected by her and I felt like you know she just never saw me in the way that I longed to be seen. I will unconsciously choose someone who recreates that feeling within me. Someone who I always feel like I'm struggling to get them to see me, who I feel Ooh. consistently rejected by, And if I can just get this person to love me, Mm -hmm. then that means I was worthy of love all along, right? And the difficult thing is, can't get there from there. Mm -mm. And so as long as I need someone else to give me that thing, which I am meant to go back for my inner child and hold space for her within myself, I'm going to live in that space of resentment forever. Forever and ever. And the thing is that's so fascinating, once you do the work of going back for that little kiddo, Nothing feels personal. It really Mm. doesn't. It doesn't feel personal in terms of your parent. It doesn't feel personal in terms of your partner. Whoever it is, you might make different choices to the point you were making before. You might say, oh, yeah, no, this is like, I actually don't need this this dynamic anymore because I've sort of understood where it comes from. And, you know, with all all the love in the world, we've sort of like outgrown one another. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel personal. And so sort of the circular thing about what I feel like I hear you saying is when we're in the space of resentment, the really challenging thing to own is if I take responsibility for the part of me that doesn't love myself enough to really look at why I am recreating, recreating this dynamic or co-creating whatever or the allowing is, whatever the thing is, the behavior, the treatment, right? Yeah. That then all of a sudden I'm really asking myself to take responsibility and it's not about that other person. Like, yes, on an unconscious level, I have created this as an attempt to heal, but it's not healing because this other person comes on board and sees me the way I'm longing to be seen. It's healing because I finally understand what I'm creating here and how I'm playing a part in this dynamic, you know? Uh, oof. I know, I'm like, I can hear everyone's responses already, like, really, Danae? I mean, even I'm having, like, a uh, response, you know, because, well, when you yeah. say, too, like, once we do the work of that, that kind of healing the inner child, like, hear me when I say, everyone listening, it's not like a one and done thing. I mean, I've been doing this work, God knows how long at this point, and, like, it's still coming up in different ways, you know? And I, I mean, I do see progress and I do see the ways that I've evolved and things that I definitely no longer kind of tolerate or allow 
either treatment or the way that I will step into and engage in a relationship, but it still comes up. You know, this is layered and this is a lifetime of work, y'all. Like this is the work of individuation is actually meant to be a lifetime. And so you're not failing if you still find yourself being resentful sometimes. I feel resentful a lot. Not a lot. Maybe that's an example. But, you know, it comes up. Like, this is a normal human feeling. And so there's nothing wrong with you if you haven't gotten to the point yet where you're like, oh, nothing is about me. I take no responsibility. You know, that's not... (laughs) With the sound of music. Yeah. And I think that, absolutely, to what you just said, let's just start there. But I also think that if I start at a baseline with what you often say, which is if I feel resentment, that's a really beautiful invitation to go inward and figure out what my hundred percent of this is. Like, yeah. Do I say I it like don't that? Care. That's so much more eloquent than usually I say it. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's how I interpret what you're saying. But I think that when I feel some sort of like resentment or mm-hmm. that I'm owed something or that someone is not showing up for me in the way that I am wanting them to in this moment. And I start to feel that agitation. I always say, okay, today, like mm-hmm. clearly you're resentful. So what is your part in this? Right? Yes. Like where are you telling yourself the story that someone owes you something and what else could be true? Yep. What was the expectation? Right? You know how I always say expectations are preconceived resentment. So if you had an expectation of something, of someone else, then that's on you. That's not Mm -hmm. really about that person because, you know, and people will say, so you're saying like, I should never have any expectations of anyone ever today. And I would say kind of not. Here's the thing. People are demonstrating with their willingness to show up and meet you in the way that you're longing to be met, what their capacity is. Mm -hmm. Now, what you do with that information is on you. If someone demonstrates clearly several times that they have no interest in meeting you in what your quote expectations are of them, then you continuing to stay as an, you know, willing participant in that Mm -hmm. dynamic that's on you, not them. Like that person is showing you what their capacity is. You're just choosing to say, I don't, I don't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think that's a really good way to kind of like round out this conversation is like the way that we talk about resentment, at least you and I do as therapists and kind of the work that we do around codependency is like, I always just say resentment is an indicator, right? It's, it's basically what it is. It's your codependency being activated. And so it's a great, like the flag pops up, bing, okay, pause, stop. And it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be like you're raging. It's like, it could be the tiny, I always say like the tiniest little whiff, right? It's an invitation to stop and to look inward and to say, what is going on? To your point, what expectations am I placing on somebody that aren't being met? You know, what is not being said that I need to say and put words to, right? Because for a lot of us, it's the like, don't rock the boat, don't speak up, just stuff it under the rug and then just walk around carrying that resentment all the time. No, no, no. This is actually an opportunity for you to say, I'm not speaking up about something. And so Mm. I need to, right? If that's like your MO, if you're the one that doesn't speak up, then that's what that's telling you. Whatever your kind of... um the way that I've seen it actually anyway, like kind of manifest is whatever your struggle is with codependency. And for all of us, you know, I always say there's like this laundry list of behaviors that fall under codependent tendencies, right? We don't all struggle with every single one of them. And we don't all struggle with all of them in every relationship, right? Like if I'm looking, when I teach my classes, I always say like, let's say there's 20 on my list. I might struggle with like one, three and five in my romantic relationships, 12 and 13 in my relationships with like my mom and maybe 17 through 20 in my, in my relationships with my friends. Right. 
But in that moment of resentment, if you can pause and say, which one of those is being activated in this moment? And what do I need to do to kind of lean into, reverse it, right? So if, if the thing that's being activated is, I don't speak up, I shut things under the rug, great. Then what, what your call to, what your invitation to do is, speak up, put words to it, right? Um, if my, if the resentment is, is coming up around being a doormat, right? This feeling of being a doormat. Okay. So what's the opposite? What do you need to lean into? Boundaries, speaking up, stop saying no, stop saying yes when you want to say no, right? So it's always kind of an invitation for you to look at what is that codependent thing that's being brought up? And then what do I need to do about it? Which would be the opposite in that moment to attempt to kind of heal or work with that behavior. So I always love that as like a tangible takeaway tool for you to start to work with resentment, um, like in your day to day. I love that as a tangible tool. I think that's so helpful. And I just want to add um, sort of an addendum or an addition to what I think you said, because what I think is the other part of when we're unpacking the resentment and we're attempting to speak up in those moments is really noting and making um, note of the fact that our ego will always interpret whatever is happening between us and another person with the least generous interpretation possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we speak up, it's important to say the story I've told myself about this, or I'm sure this wasn't the way that you intended it and the way I processed it was. Because mm-hmm. what ends up happening a lot of times as we're saying the thing that I feel resentful about is we say it as if you this did is this fact, you did this to me. And then <laughs> yeah. that person gets into defensive mode. And no matter what, we're just, and then to your point, what that a lot of times teaches the person who doesn't speak up is I shouldn't speak up see, because people see, are going to reject me why. Mm-hmm. anytime I do. And it's like, well, not exactly, but there's a way to speak up that mm-hmm. is not going to cause that person to defend themselves, but really for us to like be in communication yeah. about like how we come to a resolution. I think that's an important yeah. thing to just play with as well. Yeah. I mean, communication in general, right? I mean, I think a lot of therapy work actually ends up being like communication skills how training. To. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not taught this stuff. We're not taught nonviolent communication. We're not taught, you know, so I, I yeah. think that that is part of therapy is actually like, NVC training and like training on how to communicate properly and all these things. So also if you're with a therapist and you don't feel like you're getting that, ask for it, request it because communication is a really big part of this healing work. Um, mm-hmm. and it sounds like not sexy because like we're always talking about the psyche and the spirit and the soul, but like bottom line, like communication skills are a big component to this. So oh, I think it's important. Is sexy. What are you talking about? I mean, I think it is. I studied in undergrad. That was my that was my major for a There's reason. Nothing sexier than a communicator, baby. Yep. What's she talking about? Amen. Amen to that. I think we. I think we'll leave that. I think we'll end there. <laughs> uh, all right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening to Danae and I pontificate. And until next time, thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.